today's reading comes from Mark chapter 10, verses 17 through 27. As Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one is good except God alone. You know the commandments, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not give false testimony, you shall not defraud, honor your father and mother. Teacher, he declared, all these I have kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack. Go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad because he had great wealth. Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, how hard it is for the rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were amazed at his words, but Jesus said again, Children, how hard it is to enter the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. The disciples were even more amazed and said to each other, Who then can be saved? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord God, as we enter into this time of reflection and meditation on your word, I pray that you would speak to us again, that you would penetrate our hearts, our thoughts, our minds, our souls. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be pleasing unto you Amen. and our Redeemer. Amen. Well, good morning. And the last time I got to preach here, it was empty. And it feels so good to see you sitting there. It is a joy to be here. My name is Robert Ortiz, and I'm the pastor of mission and outreach here at Alamo Heights. And, and I welcome you in the name of the Lord. It is a blessing. Back in August of this year, I sent Dinah an email and I said, you know, Dinah, uh, Holly has given me my preaching schedule for the rest of the year. I've got, I've got dates in September and November and December, but I don't have anything for October. And I'd love to preach in the CLC if, if you need a day off or if something's going on. I'd love to. If not, no worries. I, I will go out and I'll find a, uh, a corner to stand on or something and, 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 and I'll preach. Because I have to preach, otherwise I'm going to explode. And so... so 
and Matt will confirm that for you. That once I get going, I can't stop. Anyway, so I sent this email out to Dinah, and and uh, and she she responded a, a little bit later and says, "I'd like for you to preach on October 18th. Today's the 18th, right? I'm on the right date. Okay. I'd like for you to preach on October 18th." I said, "Great." I put it down on my calendar. And then a couple of weeks later, she sent me another email and said, that will be right in the middle of our stewardship campaign. <laughs> the dread set in. The dread set in because, because over the last 12 years, I, I really haven't spoken a lot on stewardship over at Asbury. Every once in a while, we would touch the subject. And it's not because I don't believe in good stewardship. I do. I, I, I think it's a, an absolute necessity in the church. The, the reason I didn't speak about it is I'm not very good at it. I, I, I don't think I do a good enough job. So we're going to trust God today and see where God takes us. Stewardship is more or is about more than just determining what you will give. That is part of it, what you will give. And, and your financial gifts are an absolute necessity for the life of the church. But it's also about reflecting and meditating on why we give. And the question that was answered in the video uh, that people were testifying to spoke largely to that. Why we give. Why do we give? Why do we serve? This is an opportunity during this stewardship campaign to focus on those questions. Why do we give? Why do we serve? And it um, encompasses more than just our money, right? It encompasses our time, our talent, and our treasure. Looking at it holistically. The way we actually use our time, talent, and treasure reflects our values and our desires. Over the last couple of weeks or months, I've been uh, leading a class on the missional church. And some people are enrolled in this class and we, and we meet online. And then I've been given the opportunity to go to Sunday schools and present in a shortened format, uh, the, the ideas behind this class. Uh, and one of the things that I've done in, in, in every uh, group and every uh, class that, that I've had the opportunity is I've asked the question, and I'll ask you today, what is your desire for the church? What is your desire for the church? What is your desire for Alamo Heights United Methodist Church? And I'll be honest with you, the answers are, are pretty similar. The, the responses have, have come across the same, across the board. Whether it's in a Sunday school class or in an online class, uh, wherever this question is asked, this is what I'm hearing. Well, we want to see our church full. We want our Sunday schools full. We want to see our parking lot full. And there's nothing really wrong with that answer, right? We should desire to, to, to see the, the, the church, the, the body of Christ, 
just bursting at the seams with people hearing the good news and receiving the good news of Jesus Christ. Then I asked a follow-up question that takes a different perspective, a different turn. And the question goes like this. Do you desire to see the congregation be a greater blessing to the community and especially to those who are far from Christ? So it takes us from being uh, focused on, on, on the campus here, focused on what we do here in this space, it takes us beyond our four walls to a world that's hurting, to a world that's in need, to a world that needs good news. This changes the perspective just a little bit because the reality is most of the world outside is not coming in to our buildings, right? And not just this church, but churches in general. There's been a shift in culture. There's been a shift in the way we say things, in the way we do things, in the way we believe. And, and, and the attractional church model that we built back in the early 1800s and, and carried through to the early 21st century is no longer having the impact it once did. And so the people are not coming into our doors. And so does that mean that we at this point say, okay, we did our job, we built the building, and it's time to go? means that if they won't come to us, we'll go to them. What is your desire? J.R. Woodward writes in his book, Creating a Missional Culture, that God's mission is to redeem the world and restore it to its intended purpose. And that the church exists to help fulfill God's mission of redemption. That's why we're here. This passage in, in Mark 10 is, is a hard passage to read. Because it's a call to those who are in Christ or who want to be in Christ, it's a call to become vulnerable. Mark, past, Mark 10, the Mark 10 passage begins by focusing on the question, what must I do? What must I do? And so as we examine the verses a little closer, Jesus begins to paint a picture of what we must do. But he paints a picture that makes it impossible for any of us to fulfill. In fact, his disciples ask, who then can be saved? What you're asking or what you're saying we must do, we can't. We fall short. And so Jesus then gives us the call to vulnerability. 
This call to vulnerability leads us to place our salvation and our very lives in the hands of God. To trust that what is impossible for us into the hands of God. Because for what, what is impossible for us is never impossible for God. In fact, Jesus says, all things are possible with God, even our salvation. I'm reminded of uh, the Hebrew Midrash story about Nashan. I know that you are aware of what a midrash is. It's the story that the rabbis tell that goes before the text and after the text and above the text and below the text. And it just, it's not written down. It's not codified. But it's the story that helps the text. And so there's this, this midrash of, of a, a, a man named Nishan who was a prince of Judea as the as the people of God were being led out of Israel, I mean out of Egypt, out of their bondage, they were being delivered. And Moses is leading them from Egypt to where God would take them. And then they come up upon the Red Sea or the Reed Sea, whichever one you want to use, and, and realize that there's no way forward. The sea's there. And they also realize that the Egyptian army is coming after them. Pharaoh has changed his mind and wants his slaves back. And so the tribes of Israel are gathered there on the banks of the Reed Sea and, and arguing and discussing <coughs> how there's going to be a, a way made possible when the sea's in front of them and the armies of Pharaoh are behind them and, and, and Moses is telling them, we need to trust God. He will deliver us. And so they're trying to decide which, which tribe is going to step into the water and see if it parts. And they're arguing between themselves. No, you go. No, you go. We're not going. You go. And suddenly, Nashan stands up and takes a step into the water. And he goes to where the water reaches his ankles and the seas do not part. And he takes another step forward and now the waters are at his waist and the seas do not part. And he takes another step and the water now is at his shoulders, and the seas do not part. And he knows that the next step that he takes is going to put him underwater. And once he goes underwater, he may drown. But because Nashan trusts that God is going to deliver him, because Nashan has made himself vulnerable to God, Yahweh, the deliverer. He begins to take that final step that will put him underwater. And as he takes that step, 
Yahweh parts the seas. But it's in that vulnerability of trusting God with our lives that we see the hand of God make a way where there seemed to be no way. Back when I arrived at Asbury, we were meeting with 12 elderly members. And the writing was on the wall that we were going to be closed down within a year or two. But that small remnant of believers trusted God that God would make a way where there seemed to be no way. And because of the partnership between Alamo Heights UMC and Asbury, Asbury is alive today 12 years later and continues to minister to that community, even in the midst of a pandemic. Yesterday they had food and prayer for the first time since the pandemic. They were able to pray with 18 families to give out 18 bags of food and pray. Becoming vulnerable, placing our hands, placing our lives in the hands of God. Gil Rendell writes about this myth, myth of scarcity that has pervaded the church. In his book, Quietly Courageous, he says that in this current moment of declining church membership and attendance, of declining budgets and participation, <coughs> we are all being impacted by assumptions of scarcity. People, dollars, and influence seem to have evaporated, producing a myth of scarcity. But the myth of scarcity is built on old assumptions that can be challenged and reshaped. You see, the reality is that if we, the church, will authentically and vulnerably submit ourselves to God, we can begin to truly experience the power of Paul's words to the Philippians. My God will meet your every need out of the riches in the glory found in Christ Jesus. Philippians 4.19. So with that in mind, as we ask ourselves, why do we give? Why do we serve? I can tell you that we don't give or serve out of guilt or shame. We shouldn't give or serve out of obligation or duty. 
but rather we give and serve as an act of gratitude, as an act of worship, as an act of trust by making ourselves vulnerable to the cause of Christ. As we partner with God to help fulfill God's mission of redemption and the restoration of creation to its intended purpose, which is to be in relationship with God, our Creator.